It was a butt whooping, a shellacking, a waxing, a beat down of the highest order as the Oklahoma Sooners, I can't even say fall, but really stumble in the Cotton Bowl, 49-0 to the Texas Longhorns in the Red River Showdown. One of the worst performances we've ever seen. We'll talk about it on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, what the crap? Like, where do we even begin with this? I, I It's hard to really put into words everything that I felt, and I'm sure that many people felt. Uh, watching this game and even in the aftermath of this game on Saturday. It's so bad that, you know, right now it's almost you're on one side of the fence or the other within the Sooner Nation. I think everybody wants the same thing, which is you want things to work out for Brent Venables and for the staff, and you want this re-energized look of Oklahoma football, and you want championship football at Oklahoma. I think everybody wants the same thing, and yet now because it's been so bad, historically bad at the Cotton Bowl versus Texas. Worst ever loss to Texas in that game. The first time Oklahoma has been shut out, period, since 1998 versus Texas A&M. And uh, only the second time they've ever been shut out by, by Texas in that game at the Cotton Bowl. Because it was so pronounced in that regard, John, and because it comes on the heels of obviously what happened versus TCU, it's the first time ever. I mean, think about this. As bad as the 90s were, and it was a, you know, it was a haunted house for Oklahoma fans throughout the 90s, right? At no point throughout the 90s did Oklahoma lose back-to-back games by 30-plus points in each. So this is historically an all-time low for Oklahoma, and that's kind of got, you know, folks on different pieces of the equation, which is, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley left this program bare and look at all these folks that jumped into the transfer portal and it's year one for Brent Venables. And then the other faction that's like, yeah, but you've still got X amount of blue chippers and it's Oklahoma and you shouldn't be losing like that each of the last two weeks. And then, you know, defensively the performance the week before that versus Kansas state. So I guess uh, I don't know where to start with this other than this is not Oklahoma football. And regardless of if it's year one or, you know, if you want to assign blame to Lincoln Riley, John, to me, it's it's got to start getting fixed this week versus Kansas. And it's really kind of as simple as that. Wherever you do decide to ascribe blame, the biggest issue is that it's just not good enough. Nothing that they're doing right now is good enough. And that starts with the head coach and your coordinators down to your players. It was kind of embarrassing, Josh, watching this team down 35 points in the second half, still running the Wildcat, not being able to drop back in a just a passing offense and try to throw the ball. It was embarrassing watching this team running on third and eight when, when you need to try and get yards. I mean, at that point, are you just waving the white flag and you're not even midway through the third quarter yet? I mean, it... 
it was a travesty. And I get that maybe they don't trust the quarterback to throw the football. Maybe they, they've seen enough of what he's capable of in spring, you know, fall camp and the first you know six weeks of the season that they just don't feel comfortable throwing, letting him throw it. But he's a quarterback at the Division I level in FBS. Sure, he's a third-string quarterback. But if you can't let him throw when you're down 35 nothing. What are you worried about? Like, what is it? What is the concern at that point? Are you worried that he's going to get picked off? Are you worried that he's going to get sacked? I, it was unfathomable for me to watch that game down 35 and watching them still try to run Wildcat. And at that point, Texas is sitting on it. They know you're not going to throw. And so you're not going to be able to do anything else on offense at all. And we can talk about where, you know, Dylan Gabriel wasn't there and, you know, the offensive coordinator had to come up with some other kind of game plan to make something work. But this just reeked of coaching scared, in my opinion, that they were so afraid of what Davis Bevel was not able to do that they were just going to take the ball out of his hands completely. And he was, I mean, he wasn't great when he did throw the ball. He was just six of 12 for 38 yards, something like that. The one kind of biggest play that they had was, you know, Braden Willis had to come back and, and catch the ball behind him to make a really nice, nice play. But it was just wild to me that you're not even going to give him a chance to like sling it when you're down that much, because what's going to happen if Dylan Gabriel's not available against Kansas, you missed a golden opportunity to let Davis Bevel get some very valuable in-game experience to throw the ball 20, 30 times, or at least attempt to, and then see what happens. But instead, you didn't really get to throw the ball much in the second half, and you, you missed an opportunity. I get that the Wildcat was working the first half, but once they made adjustments, you didn't really have anything else. And it worked up until Jeff Levy started getting a little bit cute, and whether it was the Eric Gray jump pass or, you know, we're running straight downhill and we're picking up, you know, big yardage. We're gaining momentum, getting first downs and then trying to run outside or run a jet sweep to Drake Stoops, who, I mean, he's a good player, but is he the guy that you want running the football on a jet sweep? Probably not the first person I'd pick. Is he effective? Sure. He can be at times, but you've got so many other options on this team that you, that could be explosive in the open field, Jill Farouk, Marvin Mims, Gavin Sawchuk, Eric Gray. Like there's a there's a host of guys that would be better options. Gavin Freeman. We saw Gavin Freeman make a huge play running a jet sweep. You'd rather not give him an option to do this. It just it it, it reeked of safe, cautious football, and that's not what I expected out of, out of a Brent Venables team. I, I the going forward on fourth down you know, several times in a row on, on the same drive. That's what I expected out of this team. But it seemed like as that first half went along, they got more and more comfortable with this idea that, hey, we just don't want to mess up on offense. And that's the game where you just kind of need to throw all caution to the wind. Based on everything that's gone on the last couple of weeks, you needed to just go out there and step on the gas pedal and just say, whatever happens, happens. At least we're going to go down swinging. Because I watched this team, and I felt like it laid down for Texas after about the first quarter. And I'm not going to say that the players didn't try their best, that they didn't give a good effort. 
I'm never going to, I'm, it's going to be really hard for me to come on here and say that they didn't give a good effort, but I felt like from the coaching staff down, I felt like after the first quarter, it just kind of laid down at least, especially after the first half, it was just done. It was over. I don't know anybody that came out of halftime thinking, yeah, Oklahoma's got a chance to come back and win this game. Well, and I wanted to open up off the top, just kind of the historical nature of the bad that we've seen the last couple of weeks, because that's going to be something that's driving the conversation really up until Oklahoma wins another game, right. Or, or flips this season around a little bit, but the game itself, right. The, the cotton bowl, a lot of the things you're talking about here, man, I don't want to make Davis bevel this big punching bag because look, you know, he, he's already getting it from all corners of Sooner Nation and, and really even nationally that he, he's not cut out for this situation. And, you know, frankly, we talked about this last week. Coming on the heels and out of the TCU game, the signs were there. And this is, look, I don't want to be Mr. I told you so guy, but I'll be Mr. I told you so guy just a little bit here. We told Sooner Nation, if you go into this game, in Davis Bevel, based on what we saw versus TCU, if that's what was going to carry over into this Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma was not winning over Texas in the Red River Showdown. So the idea that for the entirety of last week, John, and, and keep in mind, again, the historic nature of how things have gone here at Oklahoma these last several weeks, for you to be 0-2 going into that game, it's year one, you're Brent Venables, you're trying to establish momentum in this program – And you're trying to sell everybody that, hey, we're tugging on the same rope and things are about to be better. And you go into that game, you and Jeff Levy, with Davis Bevel lined up, set to be your primary quarterback. And then when things clearly are going the same direction as it went at TCU and there's no signs that this thing is going to get better, and immediately you've jumped into that gimmicky wildcat formation and that's your best best hope, best chance for offense, it was in – it was a team, John, to me that, look, I think showed up and waved the white flag at the Cotton Bowl. And I just don't know how I'm supposed to wrap my brain around the idea that Oklahoma did that in this game. Again, coming in 0-2 with all of the problems that OU had, I would think that there's probably a player or two, and they won't say it publicly because you don't say that publicly about your teammates. John, when they showed up, for the Red River game, OU thought they were beat because of who they were going to run out there with at quarterback. And I just, again, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah, I want to touch on that a little bit more um, after the break because I feel like there's still more to dig into just on the coaching aspect of that and how they, I don't feel like they set their quarterback up well uh, for this game. And I'll, I'll do that after I talk to y'all about Simply Safe. Hey, the numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe Home Security to protect their home. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. And we know because we use Simply Safe in our home. Protect yourself with cutting edge security technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. With 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch a police or first responders in an emergency. Even if you're not home or can't be reached, Simply Safe blankets your home in protection with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and outside your home, smarter ways to detect motion that only alert you when a threat is real. And 
even hazard sensors that instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. So customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. That's right, first month free and save 20%. Go to simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Continuing just to touch on the, the Davis Bevel aspect of this, you know, I talked about how they they didn't really you know, give him the opportunity to throw the football. That was a bit of a failure from last week as well, because against TCU, when you're down so big, they were still running the football a lot, just trying to generate offense. If you want to give your, your quarterback who you probably think is going to have to start the next week, even if you don't think he has to start the next week, that's very valuable opportunity to get him some experience get him a lot of live game reps, throwing the football. Who cares at that point what the score ends up being? Who cares what the numbers look like? Who cares if he gets intercepted? Just give him the dropbacks. Let him get comfortable, you know, facing pressure because that's the biggest issue, right? Is that he just never looks comfortable in the pocket. You give him more live action, maybe he gets more comfortable. Maybe just the experience allows him to understand like, hey, I'm going to be okay. I just got to drop back, make my reads, throw the football. On the other hand, Jeff Levy, sometimes you got to get the ball out of his hand quickly. And I, I know a lot of it, you know, they wanted to run a lot of those wide receiver screens behind the line of scrimmage, throw the football like that. But it, he showed like on the RPO situation, the, the, the one throw to Braden Willis, even though it was behind him, like he was able to, you know, get that ball, make the read, throw it. So where was that? Like, why not run more and more of that? But even beyond that, beyond the offensive difficulties, we got the defense that we have to talk about because they come out, they get the three and out right out of the gate. And you're like, okay, maybe this team has kind of turned some things around. And yet the Texas Longhorns then decided to go punt or sorry, after the first punt, they go touchdown, touch the first touchdown, 12 plays, 90 yards covering four minutes and 31 seconds. The next one, Touchdown, eight plays, 92 yards, 303. And then the next drive, touchdown, nine plays, 80 yards, 310 off the clock. This defense looked ill-prepared for the Texas Longhorns offense. They'd get them into third down situations at times, but it seemed like Texas could do what they wanted to do on third down. They seemed ill-prepared for the tempo that Texas was going to run with, which is surprising to me considering they should be seeing this tempo every single week, right? like every day in practice that they're practicing against tempo all fall, all spring, they're practicing tempo. But there are several occasions where they weren't ready when Texas snapped the ball because they were still getting the calls in. And that's a coaching thing. That's a bit of a player thing. But again, just top down, it just was not good. And I, there's so many more words you could say about this thing. But I mean, the defensive side of the football, like they gave, they weren't giving up big plays for touchdowns but they were giving up third down conversions, you know, fourth down conversions, giving up gashes in the run game. You know, it was, it was a lot of favorable down and distances that Texas faced. And even when Oklahoma did get them into third and long situations, there was zero pass rush and Quinn years could just do whatever he wanted. Yeah. I, that's actually the number I was just looking for on the sheet here was did Quinn Ewers get sacked? And the answer to that question is no, Quinn Ewers did not get sacked in this football game throws for nearly 300 yards, four touchdowns. 
Texas, uh, after the beginning of the game, kind of did more or less what it wanted to do offensively. And, you know, honestly, I would have thought that Oklahoma in this game, just given the, just given, you know, the way the last several weeks had played out and kind of buoyed by the idea that, okay, we got to help Davis bevel out or help whoever out offensively. I, I would have thought they would, you know, be able to kind of pull things together, piecemeal it a little bit. And if not, ultimately put together a great defensive showing then for bits and pieces early trend in the direction that they were going to get some stops here and there. But obviously uh, that wasn't the case. Quinn Ewers, because of, uh, you know, in part, some of obviously the way that Steve Sarkeesian and, you know, their weapons, the way they scheme things up, give credit to the Longhorns for sure. Oklahoma made Quinn Ewers look like the next really good quarterback for Texas in this rivalry game, which it's been a while since we've been able to kind of come out of a Red River game and feel that way. I know at times Sam Ellinger was that guy, but I don't know that Sam Ellinger at, really at any point in a Red River game made me feel quite the way that Quinn Ewers for Texas did on Saturday. I mean, he he looks like the next really good Texas quarterback, and that's frustrating, right, for Oklahoma coming out of this game that defensively just just didn't do a whole lot of things well. I mean – 36 first downs in the game for Texas, John. 296 rushing yards, 289 passing yards. Add it all up, it's basically 600 again defensively total offensive yards that Oklahoma surrendered. And I know that the failures of Oklahoma offensively were a factor there, John. They were, right, because you're you know, quickly giving the football right back to Texas. But there's just not a lot of resistance from this Oklahoma defense right now. I don't know what happened up in Lincoln, Nebraska that went so well versus what has, you know, totally, totally fallen apart, uh, ruptured at the seams for Oklahoma these last three weeks. But it's not a good defense, John. It's a historically bad Oklahoma defense right now. And, you know, outside of just the basic things, winning up front, getting pressure on a quarterback, uh, getting back to getting TFLs and sacks, you know, all those sorts of things, covering better. I mean, just basic things. I don't know how you fix the defense outside of just playing better. And, and that's really the charge for Brent Venables. I mean, they've allowed an average of 45 points per game over the last three games, nearly 1,800 total yards. And these teams are just doing whatever they want to do with to Oklahoma's defense. I looked at pro football focus and Oklahoma hit Quinn Ewers just one time in the entire game, just one time. I mean, the guy dropped back to pass. I want to say it was more than 30 times and they just hit him once. Let me see if I can find that stat real quick. I mean, he looked incredibly comfortable back there. Some of it, I mean, credit to, you know, uh, the Texas offensive line, they did a really good job, but this is the third week in a row where the quarterback sat back to pass and didn't really face effective pressure. So he dropped back to the pass 34 times and was hit once. That is just a really frustrating number to look at, especially considering what we saw earlier in the season where they were getting pressure. I felt like other parts of the defense were actually a little bit improved in the first half. Again, we talked about not there. I didn't remember any really busted coverages. I mean, there were some issues in zone where guys might not have been getting as deep as they should have gotten in their zone drop, but it wasn't like guys were just running free wide open because you know, somebody made the wrong choice in the coverage assignment. Uh, I don't feel like the tackling was really terrible. I mean, Bajan Robinson's a difficult guy to bring down, but I didn't feel like it was one of those like games where, oh, guys were just missing 
tackles left and right. Um, and so it, it seemed like, I mean, although they, you know, Bajan had 11 missed tackles forced himself and on the game, you know, Texas created 21 missed tackles forced, but it, it seemed like that they were there. It's just, they couldn't connect the dots defensively from, you know, front to back. And obviously missing Billy Bowman still hurts, but, you know, they tried to make adjustments by putting Woody Washington at safety and bringing DJ Graham off the bench to play corner. It's just not a, it's just not a good unit. And this is one of those years. And I, I hate to fall into this. It's going to, it's a rebuilding year. I just hate that. I really do because you're Oklahoma. You shouldn't be rebuilding. I know they lost guys in the transfer portal. The biggest one being your quarterback situation, but I mean, you should still be in pretty good shape. I mean, you lost Mario Williams and Jaden Hazel, but you got Marvin Mims, Jalil Farouk, who you feel really, really good about. Um, you know, you lost your five guys to the NFL draft on defense. To me, that's as big of an issue as anything. Losing Benito, Isaiah Thomas, Perry on Winfrey all at the same time. That's huge. But we felt like with Jalen Redman, we felt like with Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs that you'd be in okay shape. On the back end, you felt pretty good about Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence. It's just not like replacing DTY and Patrick Fields, but it hasn't really materialized. And so while there were a lot of losses, I think the biggest three being the guys up front on the defensive side, the rest of it should be okay. As far as what you lost in the transfer portal, I, I Caleb Williams was great last year at times, but was he like so much better than Dylan Gabriel during his tenure? I, I don't think so. I mean, he had some big moments, but I mean, you go back and you watch the Iowa state game, you watch the Baylor game, you watch the second half against Oklahoma state and it wasn't great either. So we can, we can look at what they lost in the transfer portal. And yes, it, there were some big losses, but it shouldn't have become this bad year to year. And so that's the part that is really odd. and is quite the oddity. Brent Venables talked about, you know, maybe we're tired and we can talk a little bit maybe about that after the break, but there's a whole lot of this that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially given the first three weeks of the season and the way they played. It shouldn't have gotten this bad this fast, but we'll talk more about that here in a second. Yeah. Let's roll that conversation over real quick. Let me just tell you, this is brought to us by betonline.net, your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs, sports info this season. You can find all of the latest happenings, the NFL developments, game matchups, news podcasts, and more. Uh, right over there at betonline.net. It's your continued source for all of your sports wagering information that includes live betting, esports, and scores. So head on over to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. That's betonline, where the game starts, betonline.net. Yeah, that's really the the, the fight, isn't it, that is going to wage, I think, the rest of the way here for Oklahoma Unless things improve dramatically, right? I mean, you know, there, there's no signs that this will happen. But, you know, like hypothetically, if Oklahoma wins every game the rest of the way, then, okay, well, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Everything looks great uh, for the suitors now, you know, mo moving forward. They get things turned around. Doesn't feel like that's going to be the case. It feels like there's plenty more losses on the docket for Oklahoma. And, and the question really, I guess, is, is why and how did it get so bad? John, you know, as, as many – issues as we had a season ago as many things as we were frustrated about with Oklahoma being nine and oh to your point on what you mentioned about Caleb Williams 
really they were winning in spite of the quarterback play a lot of times early last season. So, and I know the Tulane game would, would argue with that. Right. But they, they found ways to win kind of, kind of both ways in Nebraska, that game comes to mind where defensively you went and won that game, West Virginia, similar, right. Came up with pivotal stops right now. We're just not seeing that with OU and the idea that because guys went to the NFL draft, John, this is OU. Guys are supposed to go to the NFL draft. And, you know, I mean, the the idea that, oh, this program was just left tattered and broken by Lincoln Riley, it didn't wind up being as tattered and broken as we thought. You got a quarterback in Dylan Gabriel who obviously didn't play against Texas this past week, but you you went in and got pieces very quickly to replenish some of these needs. And the hope was that what you already had on campus was good enough that there wasn't going to be a big drop off. Again, it's OU guys are supposed to graduate, go to the national football league and you're expected to again, replenish and replace. So this idea, this narrative that it's year one in any of this is passable or acceptable. I'm sorry. I'm not down with that. You're not going to get that from me. No, you might be able to convince me that the year one narrative works if they were losing these games close. But to get blown out by TCU, what was it, 31 point loss to get shut out by Texas? It's more than just it's year one. It's more than just you lost players to the transfer portal, you lost players to the draft. It's beyond that. And I mean, we we've started having the Ted Roof discussion. We started having it a little bit last week. That might be part of it. That might be a big, bigger piece of what's going on than anything. Brent Venables talked about how the team might be tired. And being a rookie head coach, maybe he's overworked them. Only he knows that. Only the players know that. They only know what's going on on campus. We, we can't really say. But for him to mention that in his post-game press conference after the game, that might be a very real part of it. You know, the, the Schmitty built thing is, is a real thing. Maybe they peaked too soon in this season. You know, they, maybe the Nebraska game, they, they just peaked from an energy level and they didn't do enough to have much of a rotation. I mean, we, we've gone over the snap counts, like a lot of those starting, especially your starting linebackers, your safeties have played a ton early in this season. Again, that shouldn't be an excuse, but perhaps they are just not allowing the depth to develop because they don't have much of a rotation. And so the guys are just getting worn out. Maybe that's part of it, but you know, Brent Venables talks about having to to look at everything and you really do. You really have to do some soul searching, look at the entirety of your program to see what in the world is going on and what's not working because I've heard it from many Oklahoma fans over the last 24 hours at church went out last night, from them, whether you're in your 20s, whether you're in your 60s, people are just flabbergasted at what this team is and the performances that they've put on over the last three weeks of the season. How could you not be? Again, I mean, like we let off the show with, it's as bad as it's ever been. It's as bad as it's ever been. Now, the positive thing, and I think it's worth mentioning, I think, I think Oklahoma's poised to play dramatically better, offensively at least versus Kansas getting Dylan Gabriel back and keep in mind when he went out against TCU. Yeah. I mean, there were some problems and some inaccuracies and all of that, 
you know, the offense wasn't necessarily off to a great start versus TCU, but John, they weren't off to the trains completely off the tracks performance that we saw the remainder of the way versus TCU and obviously the entirety of the way versus Texas. So that, that is one thing that I think Dylan Gabriel is back this week for Oklahoma, and that's going to be a big time game changer. I would just say to the, the comments you made that Brent Venables shared, right? The comments you made about what Brent Venables shared about, is this team tired to me? I don't think this team is tired. I don't think that's the case. I don't think they've been overworked by Schmidt. What it does tell me, however, and I think this is more illuminating and I think this is more problematic and concerning for Oklahoma. you got a head coach now that has lost three games, John, has gotten blitzkrieged in the last two, and he is uncertain about everything right now. And that that comment made it abundantly clear, am, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? And, and I'm all about self-reflection, and I think at times head coaches, I'll be the first to tell you, Head coaches, assistant coaches, players, they're not honest enough with us, right? They, they don't do enough self-reflection at times. This has me kind of the opposite way on that. And maybe that's unfair, but I kind of sense that there's some skepticism there from Brent Venables about his own performance. I like that he's owning up to it. I appreciate that. But I'd be lying if I told you that doesn't have me a little bit concerned hearing that. This is the part where I was talking about last week where sometimes being a little too honest in, in front of the media might hurt you. I mean, we, we love it. it. It helps us to, you know, have more to talk about and to write more about, but some of those things you got to just kind of hold on to, like to be up there and just say, I don't know, that's not really great. You know? And I feel like we've kind of been there for the last couple of weeks. You know, you, he constantly, you know, he talks about the buy-in. He talks about the commitment. He talks about the work that they're putting in. If that's all true, why is it not translating to the field? What, where is the disconnect from the practice field and the film room to the football field? Because there's definitely something that's not hitting home. Do the, I mean, are, is there not enough? Yeah, I, I really, again, I'm at a loss for words here. I don't really know what's going on there. It's a rookie head coach that's really kind of having a hard time finding his footing right now. Um, all that can change. Things can get better. This is a team that's still trying to kind of develop an identity. And the analogy that I come to is this. Before you have a harvest, you got to prepare a field. When you prepare, the first thing you do to prepare a field is you got to clear the rocks. You know, the, the field doesn't get ready to be plowed unless you get all the big rocks, the big boulders, get everything out of the way so that the plow can move through the field and not get busted up by these big rocks. That's kind of where Oklahoma's at right now. They're not sowing seeds of excellence, sowing seeds for a harvest to come next year or the, maybe even the year after that. They're in this stage where they're just preparing a field, where they're just trying to remove the, ro the rocks, the boulders, whatever that is. And maybe these last few games are just signifying that this team has a long, long way to go before becoming what we hope a Brent Venables football program can become. 
It's not encouraging what we've seen the last few weeks. It's not. There's not really much to glean and, and hang your hat on and to hold on to and be like, yes, that is going to be a Brent Venables football team. And it leaves us Sooner fans lost. It leaves us lost. We don't know what the future holds for this team. I think most people still have faith in Brent Venables. They still believe in what he's going to be able to accomplish in Norman. But at some point in the 2022 season, there have to be some tangible results that they can carry over into 2023. Because if you go, if this is what the 2022 season looks like for the rest of this year, who's to say that 2023 is even better? Maybe it's the same. Maybe it gets worse. Who knows? But there's a lot of things that have to get better so that 2022 can be seen as like at least that rebuilding year where you can get some confidence and gain some confidence from it before you move forward into 2023. Absolutely. Preach. Uh, I guess my concern with the analogy there would be I'm a little bit concerned at times right now that Oklahoma is actually the one tossing the boulders down ahead of the harvest instead of clearing them out. But we'll see. Time time will tell on uh, on that front for Oklahoma. To your point, man, you're exactly right. You're, you're preaching. You're telling the truth. Oklahoma, and there's still time for this, right? And it starts this week versus an upstart Kansas program. You got to start having results. Got to start having results. Got to start producing. That way, 2022 is not just an outright disaster. And really – that's kind of what this season has turned into now, right? Is I, I don't want to say survive until 2023, but it's show that there's progress and survive until 2023. I mean, that just kind of feels like where we're at. Yeah. And I want to have a discussion on tomorrow's show about the quarterback situation and why not having Dylan Gabriel is not an excuse for this team after what I saw with Kansas and what I saw with Texas Tech, because both of those teams rolled out quarterbacks that weren't their starter a week ago and still had really strong performances. But we'll talk about that on tomorrow's show because I got thoughts on that. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcast. Again, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Go subscribe to the show over there. Hit the notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. And hey, drop a comment in there. Let us know what you thought about Oklahoma's performance. What do you think the problems are? Because, I mean, there's a myriad of them. But where do you think it really starts? Because that's where you got to do is you got to figure out where the problems start and then go from there. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer sooner.